Okay, and the story begins. Third part of chapter 26, page 304. Part three. Okay, Jewish guilt. Jewish guilt. There's the, Jew, there's the Jewish guilty mother. The Jewish mothers always feel guilt. And she's in uh, court serving jur jury duty. And they sent her home because they, she kept on insisting that she's the guilty one. <laughs> but that one's a repeat. Okay, I, heard that one. I did hear that one before. Why it's interesting because, well, not, not to derail you just from the get-go, but when, when you sent out the uh, you know, WhatsApp thing saying, we're going to talk about Jewish guilt, and then I was reading through the section, I didn't necessarily associate it with Jewish guilt. I didn't necessarily associate the, the feelings that were being discussed here with, with guilt. Jewish guilt. Okay, interesting. I, I just, I just, it, didn't, it didn't necessarily... What, what like, was your perception of it? Your understanding of it? Um, it it more it, it, it more felt like um, uh, that you you realized that um, something you 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 did something uh, wrong. You fell short in some way, um, and you and, and there was this this sense of sadness about it. The sen the sense of depression about it. Um, now, maybe that can be said as synonymous with guilt, but I didn't necessarily make that connection. Okay, I see. Interesting. So, the theme of this chapter is we're trying to get rid of negative emotions. It's translated as depression, atzvut. Atzvut means depression. Truth is, we'll soon see um, in chapter 31, he actually defines what depression means. But atzvut means depression in the literal sense of the word. There's negative emotions that are depressing me. And these are very bad. The reason why they're bad is because a Jew has to serve God with joy. And joy, because joy is synonymous with motivation. If I'm serving God with joy, I'm motivated. If I'm depressed, if there's something weighing on me, I'm unmotivated. Last week we addressed negative situations that have happened. It's weighing on us. How do we deal with it? And if you look at the language that the Alter Rebbe used on page 300, the top bold, the first bold paragraph on page 300, when we discussed how to deal with suffering, how to cope with suffering, the Alter Rebbe said. Now the following is a prescribed plan, and like I said, everything in Tanya is very meticulous, a prescribed plan to free yourself from any sadness or hint of worry about material things. Totally free yourself of this sadness, it's totally inappropriate. When it comes to guilt or depression over sins, he doesn't use that same language. Let's take a look at what he says, back on page 304. We'll compare the two, so hold, bookmark, or hold on to 300, back to 304. But regarding sadness over religious matters such as transgressions you have committed, in other words, guilt over sins, you need to, he doesn't say totally free yourself from it, take counsel from your soul to rid yourself of sadness. It's not as strong of a language. When it comes to worry over material things, we need to totally drive it out. It's, there is no place for it. When it comes to sadness or guilt, he didn't say totally eradicate it. You need to know how to deal with it. 
You don't have to deal with it. There, there will be a time where it is appropriate. And this, the theme of this chapter will dis- discuss is when guilt is appropriate. The uh, assumption often is that if I did something wrong, I should feel guilty. And the mere fact that I did something wrong, that itself is, the guilt is justified. And we assume that guilt comes from a holy place. And the Al-Tarebbe asserts that this guilt is so inappropriate if it's not done right, if, it's not, if we're not intentional about it. And we'll discuss the parameters for guilt in this chapter. But if not intentional, if we just allow ourselves to feel guilty, it is so dangerous. So would, would you say that there's a difference between something that you should feel guilty about versus something you should feel sad or depressed about. For example, like, um, you know, if you do something that's definitely wrong, you steal, okay, you should feel guilty about it. You know, that, there's, there's this, that seems pretty black and white. But if, if you fall short in some way, um, uh, i trying to think of a good example. Um, you should have given more tzedakah this week than you did. But you gave some. Well, you fell short, so um, you wish you'd done more, but is, would, would that be a sense of guilt or a sense of sadness? I mean, I'm trying to like... Did you to, have the ability to give more, or did you... Well, let's you say you did. Well, let, let, let's, okay. let, let, let's say you did, but you missed the opportunity to do so, and, and the time escaped, and you didn't, didn't get it done, right? It wasn't because you specifically didn't want to. But you yeah, somehow, yeah, but, so I'm just trying to differentiate between something that you should feel guilty about. Okay, in, in other words, when is guilt justified? Okay, all right. Okay, yeah. we'll get there. All right. We'll get there. Good question. <clears throat> when is guilt justified? Hold on to that thought. We just, first, before we understand when guilt is justified, we have to understand why unjustified guilt, or why guilt is not necessarily appropriate. Just because you did something wrong doesn't mean you should feel guilty, and to the contrary, the Aaron of Karlin said that the Yetzir Haram, the evil inclination, is his job is not so much to get you to sin, that's just his tool. What he's really trying to do is get you to feel guilty, get you to feel down. Because when you feel guilty, you feel depressed, we lose our motivation. And now he didn't just get us to do an isolated sin, he opened a whole yes, door yeah. of sins. Yeah. This is a very interesting Hayom Yom here in our, in our sheets here. And we'll see how it ties in. Who'd like to be our reader? Mike? It's a long one, sorry. Okay. Um, <laughs> in a reply to a Yechidus query in the winter of 5635... So, sorry, just some background. Yechidus means a, a private audience with the Rebbe. Private counseling session, if you will. My grandfather said to my father, the Yetzir Hara, the evil impulse, is called animal soul, not because it is necessarily a brute animal. At times, it may be a fox, the most cunning of beasts, and great wisdom is needed to perceive its machinations. At other times, it may clothe itself in the garb of an earnest, straightforward, humble tzaddik, possessing fine traits of character. The animal soul manifests itself in each person according to his individual character. 
One person may suddenly experience a powerful longing to study Hasidus or to meditate deeply on some Hasidic concept. The truth is, however, that this is nothing more than the Yetzir Hara's counsel and the animal soul's machinations to prevent him from engaging in the Abodah of davening or a similar activity. Okay, so let's stop right there. In other words, something may seem holy and may in certain contexts be holy, yet in other contexts be totally inappropriate. The example that he gives is davening at length or studying Torah in, at the wrong place at the wrong time where it's inconveniencing others or, or, or causing wh whatever it is. The same applies to guilt. I'm feeling guilty over a sin. Is that appropriate? In the right context, in the right place. But just because I'm feeling it doesn't mean it's appropriate. A feeling isn't automatically valid. And there's times where it's appropriate to reject feelings. What makes it appropriate is what, what Torah tells us is appropriate. Otherwise, it's going to destroy us. So isn't it appropriate when you take responsibility for your actions and then... Because otherwise, if you just dismiss the actions that you've done, then, then it's... Because you can change things through the guilt, through the emotion, through the feeling. Okay, good, good. So the idea is not to dismiss the guilt? Yes, because otherwise you take no responsibility for your actions and 100%. you're not part of it and you're not being a... It, it's putting the guilt on hold. Putting it on Why hold. Why would you put it on hold when you can change your behavior? Because... You use the guilt to change the behavior to make it positive. What happens is guilt... Guilt is reactive. It's controlling you. We're talking about a guilt here that's getting in the way where I, I can't... It's draining my motivation. It's draining me from my energy. Guilt can be very draining. It's, 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 you're right. It's, a, it's such a slippery slope. If I don't feel guilty, if I don't take responsibility, I'm irresponsible. And if I do take responsibility, it's going... Where do we draw the line, in other so words? So many understanding what's causing the guilt and through what understanding the behavior will actually help you eradicate it, the guilt. No, it, it will. Nah. But it has to be in, in, in other because words. The minute you feel it, then you know there's something wrong. Then you have to work. You have to find out and identify through the Torah. Like what so here, it. here's what he says. Let's take a look at what he says. So the the first bold paragraph regarding sadness over religious matters. In other words, guilt. You need to take counsel from your soul to rid yourself of sadness, rid yourself of this guilt. I'm translating it as guilt rather than sadness. I'm jumping down to the middle bottom uh, um, bold paragraph. Obviously, you can't do this at the time of actual worship since you must worship God with joy, gladness of the heart. So you're in the middle of davening, you're in the middle of services, you're in the middle of Torah study. Definitely not the time. But here's, here is the nuance. Even, next bold paragraph, 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 even if you're involved in business and worldly affairs, and a sad thought or concern about religious matters, guilt, occurs to you while you're doing business, which is not the time of worship, right? Okay, jump to the next page. Nevertheless, this is definitely a tactic of the impulse to evil. Sometimes the Yetzir Hara, the evil inclination, is going to tell us, if you don't feel guilty now, you're being irresponsible. That's exactly what the Yetzir Hara wants us to feel, that we're being irresponsible by not feeling guilty. When in truth, it's counterintuitive. 
It's very counterintuitive. The truth is, the responsible thing is to not allow yourself to feel the guilt at this time. Because it's reactive. The difference between the animal soul and the godly soul, as alluded to in chapter 9, chapter 9 of Tanya, we said the godly soul is primarily in the mind, the animal soul is primarily in the heart. The godly soul is intentional. The animal soul is reactive, impulsive. And sometimes our mind will justify our impulses, telling us that it, we're being intentional, we're being holy. This guilt is good because you're taking responsibility when it, we could see clearly how it's draining us from our energy. Because at the end of the day, it's reactive. It wasn't a choice. If I chose to feel that guilt, in other words, I chose to remorse, to regret, to be active about it at a later time. So now the guilt's not controlling me. I'm controlling it. So I think effectively you're not dismissing it. You're just saying, you know what? Just putting it on. Like, like for example, like you deny you're, 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 well, you're, you're, you're dominating. This thought of guilt enters in, into your mind. Okay. And you can't really, you can't deal with, you can't deal with both effectively if you're trying, you know, if, if you're in the middle of davening, you want to be focusing on, on your davening. Yeah. So this this thought is distracting you from davening. But then if you're trying to, like, deal with this guilt, then the davening is distracting you from thinking. So it's kind of like, you know what? I can't deal with them both at the same time. So now's the time for davening. I'm going to set aside this guilt. And, and, and when, even if and we're not davening, he says. Hmm? Even right. when we're sure. amidst even worldly affairs, affairs, you're at work. You, you, you just want to have, like, this, this separation, this, this separation of time so that you can give your whole self to addressing the guilt that you're feeling and not be distracted by your business dealings at the moment, right? So you're, you're just separating time. You're not dismissing it. You're saying, okay, I will be distracted by what's going on at work. So I'm you, gonna you daven all day because you want to be distracted. I'm not talking about No, that. no, but even so if you're not... You, you can just take yourself out of being human. So, well, here's what he says here. He says to actually schedule the guilt. Right. It has to be scheduled. Look, take a look at the bottom of 305. Rather, this task of genuine introspection requires specifically scheduled sessions. Where are we? An appropriate moment with a settled mind. So the, the idea is, I'm feeling guilty, and the Alter Rebbe says, that guilt is going to destroy you because it came to you. You have to schedule it and come to it. The difference... Am I intentional or am I reacting? And business coaches say this all the time, right? Things come up, an email comes up, a text comes up, a WhatsApp, a Facebook message, all these different things come up. It's coming to you. Schedule it. You need to come to it when you're ready. And so it's the same with, with, with guilt. The purpose of scheduling it would be to learn from it, not just to feel it, right? Not to exactly. experience it. Exactly. Because it's a use... Exactly. I mean, you, you could, if you don't grow from. Exactly. About In other words, the guilt is supposed to be a, a. It's a growing tool. Or, sorry, it could be a growing tool. It could also eat us up alive. Hmm. I mean, we, we've all been there. We've done something we shouldn't have. And we just allow it to destroy us. So, number one, when is guilt appropriate? Just because I feel guilt doesn't mean it's appropriate. It may be justified, or it may seem justified, but it's not really justified guilt because I'm reacting to it. I'm not, I'm not intentional about it. 
Um, going down the rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> but, 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 but I mean, that those you're there's two separate things going on. Is is what you're feeling guilty about justified at all? And then if okay, it is so justified, you're right. So we did skip a step. All right. And then if it is justified, then making sure that you dedicate separate time to address that guilt and the source of that guilt. You're right, we jumped the gun. So assuming the guilt is justified, and assuming that this feeling is something worth feeling guilty over. Religious matters. Right? Then I have to, I have to schedule it. Now, even within religious matters, what makes it justified, what makes it not justified? We alluded to it, beginning of chapter 26, page 297. When we first discussed the importance of joy in the beginning, the Altar Rebbe raised the question. He said, joy is so important, but the verse implies that there's value to sadness. And the Altar Rebbe said, no, no, it's not that the sadness has value. Sadness can bring value. And he says, the bottom, the second to last bold paragraph on 297, namely, the prophet of the sadness refers to the genuine joy of feeling close to God, your God. That comes after justified sadness. What makes it justified? Over transgressions. Over something that I shouldn't have done that was in my control. That's what makes it a transgression. If it's not, if I didn't have any control over it, it wouldn't have been a transgression. Right. In other words, it's only justified it's if I have choice. But it's, so it's like something that, things that, if I see something that's not um, holy and not beautiful, it makes me sad. Because it's supposed to be, because you're supposed to see things beautifully. And you're so supposed to see, and, and if it's not, then, then it's kind of, you can see how can you change it, or what can you do. But if it's out of your control, you can't, you, but you still feel sad about it. Because you're supposed to have positive expectations, which is disappointing. Yes. But the, and that's why he says, push it away. So you throw it away? Throw so it then you, and you just let it go? Well, it's not something you have control over. What, what, what choice what do you have? what happens if you do have control over it? Be an example. Okay. If, you, if you do have control over it, yeah. Yeah, we'll get there in a second. Yeah. Let's say you don't have control over it. Yes. There's something that, in other words, I have control over behavior, thought, speech, and action. I don't have control over situations. I don't have control over emotions, which we'll talk more about that next week in Chapter 27. But certain things, I, something happened and I may feel guilty about it. I may feel sad about it. I may feel depressed about it. There's nothing I can do about it. So then it's inappropriate. If I do have control over it, some sort of transgression or neglecting to do a mitzvah that I could have done or should have done. So then guilt is justified. But like we said, it's only justified if it's there to help us grow, it not if it's there to, if we're intentional about it. If we come to it, not if it comes to us, which means scheduling it, making an appointment. And he says, when should you make this appointment? Let's take a look on the bottom of three uh, back to the bottom of three o five. The last bold paragraph, rather, this task of genuine introspection requires specifically scheduled sessions. So number one, it has to be scheduled. Number two, an appropriate moment with a settled mind. We have to wait till we're calm. We have to schedule it to a time that's more conducive for introspection. Any ideas when? 
Well, Yom you could say just before bed when, you know. Yom Kippur is good, but that's going to be... It's a long way. <laughs> it's a long way away. You know, this is like when the day's hustle and bustle is finished. You know, and you have some quiet time to really... Before davening, after davening, I don't know. Before bed is a, is a, you know, by the bedtime shema. Right. Is, is that, that, that is definitely within line of the, with the Hasidic tradition. There was a tradition, it's not done anymore, to do it at, so, so since the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, the Holy Temple, until a couple of generations ago, it was a Jewish tradition to wake up at midnight and to pray and lament over the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. Old age old Jewish tradition, and that's when people would reserve the time to lament over sins and to feel remorse, feel guilt. These days, it's not something which is common. Most people aren't getting up at midnight and, and, and lamenting over the destruction of the basement. Make this, it's if you're over 60, you are, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, what would Could you, you like to complain? Right? <laughs> the more we complain, the God, the, the longer God makes us live, right? <laughs> It'll be up. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, could you say another appropriate time could be before morning prayer? Because during morning prayer, there's a whole section, the Badui, where you're asking, you know, God for... So then you're saying after the morning prayer, you're saying? Well, before, because then, because, you know, you're, you're, you're thinking about everything that maybe you, you did inappropriate, whatever it was, right? So during the Vidui, the confessional prayer? Well, that, 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 that... That's more. At that point, you're you're asking, you're you're making that connection with Hashem to to ask for forgiveness for for all of that, right? But that's not really addressing the issue. Whereas if you did a, if, if you address the issue before you got to the Dewey, then you kind of like okay, whatever happened happened. I'm, I've dealt with that. I've thought about it. Now I'm going to ask God for forgiveness. So you could say, you know, or am I not thinking about that the right way? I naturally would have thought before bedtime, but I'm also thinking, you know, before morning prayer might make sense as well. I think most people are, it's, it's also a practical suggestion. Before I, bedtime? I, 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 yes and no. I've always had a problem with the before bedtime. Because if you're not, if, you're you, not if, you, open, if you open up the, you schedule a session, and I, I've always perceived this part of Tanya to not only say time, it's, it's the who. Who's going to be there at this session that you have with yourself? And the reason you do that a separate time is to be able to strip off the party. It's almost like, you know, when something terrible happens, who are you going to call right then? You oftentimes call the person that's most dramatic, that's going to be least helpful for you. i got to tell you what just happened, and then like, you have to go back inside, and you have to yell, or you have to, it was the other person's fault, and, and that, that, you know, that, that so we don't drama like to hear from going from pragmatic is, people. <laughs> not at that moment. It, it's not useful at that moment. It's just going to wind you up. I, I actually got uh, contacted from somebody I know who's a young boy, young man, who is feeling remorseful about something that's been two weeks, and he's having a hard time, like, focusing. And I'm trying to give him the lessons from here, and the first lesson is that remorse that you're feeling is not whole or healthy. It's, it's really, as they say, the tachbulot ha-yetzer, the, the machinations of the yetzahara. This is trying to get you... So I have a hard time suggesting, although Alter it does to do it at night, and the reason for that is I feel that if I'm not successful, I'm going to bed very antsy. I'm about to talk, think about something as I go to sleep or preparing to go to sleep. And what if I'm not successful? Uh, you know, I'm 54. I'm already at the stage where I don't, 
my head doesn't hit the pillow when I fall into a deep sleep. I have a little bit of a you know few minutes where I have to like relax myself, and if I spend time before that, and I don't get there, I'm inviting the other guy to start thinking about it, and I won't be able to fall asleep too. But first thing in the morning, I think is, I mean, I don't know what time you wake up normally. Very early. Very early. Because there's always, there's always for me, there's a rush in the morning. You're trying to accomplish in the morning. And the, what was the word that he used about a something mind? A, a settled mind? Settled, a settled mind. I, I think maybe, you know, by the time you're ready to go to bed, at least you're sort of concluded your, your day. You, you have, you're, you're, you're calling it quits. You're saying, I, mean, I can't do any more. I mean, this might be different for each person also. Yeah, I, I think it's per- perhaps bound to your personality as well. But I, I, I tend to agree with you. Like, like you know, uh, um, you, you, you've had an entire day behind you. You're, you're already tired from the day's events kind of thing. That's going to weigh on you as well in terms of your success or not in addressing the, hmm. the, the issues you, that you're trying to address, right? People wake up, they're fresh. Although I'm thinking about yourself as well. You know, I have friends who are morning people. Real morning people. And I'm talking about morning people that they can get up in the morning. They get up 4.35 o'clock and they like the stillness in the house. Nobody's up. They can do things slowly, not quickly, but they can, you know, get everything done. I've always thought that that's a beautiful time to be, just to be. I don't know if I want to ruin it with introspection. With that. I, I mean, somewhat facetiously. I just really wanted to get my voice on the tape because I always get a kick out of when Josh mentions my name, but now I get to hear myself. <laughs> so you're going to listen to this lesson again. Oh, later. yeah, 100%. Just, <laughs> just do recap. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, it's, it's, yeah, I think it's, it's kind of unique for each person. Well, the elder of it doesn't, right? He doesn't specify that it has to be at a specific time. What's the language? I think of... the sooner the better. Hmm? I, I, I think I, I know that you say that. It's funny that you say that. I think that it's not the sooner the better. So you mean you must stew until you sort it out. You must rather get to the bottom of it and sort it out you than run away from it. I don't I mean, think you can get to the th- bottom of it. Think about it in, in any you can't quarrel, any personal relationship. You know, sometimes it's unhealthy to address disagreements with a person at that moment. You're both riled up. You're both... I, I remember... When I was a dorm dormitory supervisor back in Yeshiva about seven, six, seven years ago. So I was together with my friend. He, we were like, I was the good cop, he was the bad cop. Guys had a person to talk to. They had somebody to mark them down and tell them that they're late. It was a good combo. And he was such a mensch. Guys would get really frustrated because they were late. They had to do, they did something they shouldn't have. He, would, he was responsible for being the bad guy, getting them in trouble. And they would... You know, you're dealing with teenagers. They get all frustrated. And, and he says, look, you're, clear, you're, clear, you're clearly upset now. Totally normal. Why don't we talk about it tomorrow? And they would wait a day. They would both calm down. And they could have a normal conversation. They could be rational. I spoke to, I know, a real estate agent back in Tarzana. A very successful real estate agent who told me he does the same thing. He has clients that are, you know, slapped down a $200,000 down payment. They get cold feet. They get all nervous. They call him up. They tell him, I'm out. I don't want to do this. I'm getting nervous. This house is... And he's about to lose his commission. He doesn't start rationalizing with them. He says, no problem. He waits a day. He types up an email. Because time has passed. They've calmed down. They're reading it. They're forced to listen. It's in a calm setting. 
It's not emotionally charged. When I'm feeling guilty, there's an emotional charge there. And all I'm going to do is I'm going to reflect on the guilt and I'm just going to destroy myself. I'm going to eat myself away. I'm going to not want to talk to anybody. I'm not going to want to show my face. I'm just going to be embarrassed. I'm going to be shamed. And that guilt is just going to, it's going to spiral out of control. The Al-Tadev is saying, no, don't deal with it now. He's not saying ignore it. It's important. If you come to it, it can't come to you. It has to be scheduled. I think Yasserub is giving us a, a secret into, you know, how to deal with those moments where we, we want to act right away. No, not right away, but doing it as quickly because between the events, You're saying scheduling it as quick as possible. Scheduling it because oh. if you don't schedule okay, it, that's you, can, true. you put it off and put I it agree. off, you're going to make lots of more guilty... In other, like like you said, if you schedule it till, till Yom Kippur, it's going to lose its meaning. You're going to forget about it. You're not really going to... You're not going to care at that point. If, if, it's, if it's the case that Alter was talking about um, doing it in the evening, yeah. then you, the longest you have to wait is... Couple hours, a few hours, or long as you have to wait is if you do something bad in the morning. Well, it's the whole day to think it, about it. I think it's more likely that it will pop its head up resurface. all day long, at, right before lunch, and you know, well, always. Oh, the know, other fear of not confronting it at all is desensitizing ourselves. Mm. Also, mm. right? It, um, you can just do it again. I'll do it again, and I'm a little bit. Oh, I've done this before, you know. <laughs> mm. So that you're right. There is a balance. We can't totally ignore it. It has to be scheduled. And when we schedule it is at a time where it's, where we're calm, we're settled, at a time that's conducive. But no other distraction. Exactly. Yom Kippur, you're probably right, is a little too, too far away. It's for the big ones. <laughs> <laughs> Yom Kippur's for the big ones. Hold off on your big ones. Wait till <laughs> big sense. The next parameter as to when it's appropriate to experience this guilt, or how it's appropriate to experience this guilt. So, number one, we'll have a checklist, right? Number one, is this item something guilt-worthy? Yes or no, it was a choice, so let's say it was. Let's say it was a choice. I could have refrained from this sin. I could have been more careful about this mitzvah. It's worthy of feeling guilt. Okay, I feel guilty. Schedule it. Okay, I schedule it. I have an appointment. Now what? My focus of this guilt is not on my guilt, but on whom I offended. Let's take a look at what the Altarebbe says. And I think this is a powerful lesson in interpersonal relationships also. Again, back to this bottom bold paragraph. There's so much packed into this paragraph. Page 305. Rather, this task of genuine introspection requires specifically scheduled sessions, an appropriate moment with a settled mind. Here's the key over here. To reflect on the greatness of God against whom you have sinned. This guilt has to be focused on God against whom you have sinned, not on yourself. Now this is interesting. And the reason it's interesting is, you know, let, let's say I did something that offended David. Well, okay, I, I, there's a separation here. There's, there's sins against man, there's sins against God. But it can, I think this can apply between man and man as well. Well, that's what I was saying. It's like because God, you know, I, I can't I can't ask God for forgiveness until I ask David for forgiveness. Okay. Right. True. That that's where I was kind of going with this. Right. So wait, wait, hold on, wait, wait, wait. But, but that might be a separate paragraph. Yeah. That, that, that might. Talk well, about. So, so an example. You offend a friend. You did something to upset them—a friend, a spouse, whatever it is—and you go up to them and you say, "Look, 
I feel horrible. I'm sorry. I'm such a bad person. I can't believe I did this. This is just not like me. This is out of character. I can't believe this. I feel horrible. I feel guilt. It's all about me. Yeah, that's what the person's gonna say. Wait, wait a minute. Why is this about you? <laughs> you offended me. Why are you making it about you? That's the risk with guilt also. If we're not intentional about it, it could be very self-centered. It could be an expression of the animal soul, not the divine soul. And that's why he says, to reflect on the greatness of God against whom you have sinned. It has to be God-centered, or when it is a sin between man and man, it has to be other-centered, not self-centered. This is alluded to on the top of the page, the second bold paragraph. He says, reacting to guilt in the middle of the day is inappropriate. It's the, it's the tactic of the evil impulse to try to get us to sin. And he says, because if this weren't the case, from where would justified sadness arising from love or reverence of God come to you in the middle of your day? In other words, it's only appropriate if it's actually motivated by love it, by fear, by the relationship, not by my own self-centeredness or selfishness. Make sense? Yeah. So that's our next, we're, we're kind of going down the checklist here. So number one, is this something I should feel guilty about at all, this behavior? Let's say it's yes. Number two, schedule it at an appropriate time, whatever that may be. Number three, what is the focus of this guilt? Am I focusing on how bad I am as a person or whom I offended? Right? We have to get over ourselves. That's the whole, the whole um, nuance of Tanya. Tanya, in a nutshell, is get over yourself. It's get over yourself. It's not about... The, the Al-Tadeber writes this in chapter 32. Get over yourself. He says, get over yourself. The, he says, the theme of chapter 32 is the, the paradigm shift, shifting from the body perspective, the animal soul perspective, to the divine soul perspective. Shifting from being an impulsive, reactive person to the view of the divine soul, that there's a purpose and I have a mission and there's something beyond me. And he says that this shift is the foundation of the whole Torah. Right? The great sage Hillel said, love your fellow, is the whole Torah, the rest is commentary. This is why, because as soon as you make that shift, you love every person, because you just see a soul. You don't see their body, you don't see separation, you see, you see unity, you see commonality. That one shift is the foundation of the Torah, and that shift is being alluded to over here. If the guilt is focused on me, I haven't made that shift. If the guilt is focused on what I've done, whom I have offended, it's not about me. That's an indication that I started to make that shift. I'm living from the divine soul, not the animal soul. Now, the al asserts very strongly, and we'll talk about this more next week, or maybe in two weeks, we're never going to totally succeed at making that shift. We're never going to be perfect. Our goal is not to be a tzaddik. Right? But it's not so black and white. There's a gray area. We can at least journey in trying to make this shift. So sometimes we will experience self-centered guilt. 
And that's fine. We'll remind her, we'll learn more Tanya, we'll remind ourselves, hey, it's not about me, it's about whom I offended. Let's take a look at the last line of page 305. So what happens when I do this guilt properly, when I follow this recipe, so that your heart will be genuinely broken with real remorse? The, the goal is not to destroy ourselves. The goal is to build ourselves. It has to be broken in a... And he switches language here. He started off saying, Atzvut, depression. Feelings that are literally depressing us are bad, are dangerous, unless done in this specific, uh, with this specific mechanism, in this specific way. Then your heart will be genuinely broken. And he doesn't use the word atzvot, he switched words. If you look in the Hebrew, the, bo the bottom line, he switched the word to marirut, which means remorse. The goal is not to feel depression. The goal is to feel marirut. Remorse. What's the difference between depression and remorse? It's harder to translate these words to understand them in, in English, but we'll do our best. I would say depression seems to be kind of a static thing, meaning like this thing settles on you and oppresses you, whereas, and, and, that, and that's like the, the, almost like the negative view of it, whereas remorse, it's like, okay, you've turned that corner. You've taken whatever it was, you've turned this corner to... Um, um, to, to move in a productive direction with, with that. Yeah. yeah. I, I think the um, depression is just total feeling and remorse is putting your brain into it to, to think about think about what you did instead of just feel what you did. Okay, I like it. Isn't um, what Mike said at the beginning of Tanya when he talks about the different uh, Essentially what you water... Said. Air, the the four elements. Atzvus is dust, right? Well, it, yeah, but one of the the four elements, the element in which produces lethargy. I'm pronouncing it right. Lethargy. Lethargy. I always get it wrong. Is earth? Is dust? Heaviness? Stagnancy. My father used to say, "Dust settles and won't move until something moves it." The dust that's on your, it'll stay there forever and I'll just keep accumulating. Somebody who's in a real depression. Dysfunctional. Dysfunctional, frozen, can't move. Dad, a boss who used to spend on his way to work, morning person, used to go to his best friend's house who was suffering from severe depression and literally get him out of bed. Then they part ways. He'd have some breakfast with him or something. I think he used to take him for breakfast. He had to physically move him. No, he had to coerce him, encourage him. Because he would have otherwise just stayed in bed. He was completely unable to move himself. He was so, I mean, it, you're talking about a clinical depression, so it, it, it's, it's harder to, but if you do look at it, he was just extremely wrapped up in himself without saying it in a negative way about not judging him, but he was so wrapped up in himself that he couldn't get his own body to move until somebody else moved him. So that's, I guess, what the... Um, yeah. Negative side of that is the the Alter Rebbe actually defines the difference between depression and remorse along these lines. Let's take a look. We're gonna jump ahead to page three fifty one, chapter thirty one.
It's the third paragraph or the second bold paragraph. So since atzvos, atzvos is the Hebrew word that we were using for depression, is not an emotion you want to harbor for too long, since in that mode your heart is desensitized like a stone and is a heart devoid of vitality. Atzvos, depression, feelings that are literally depressing us means I'm just, it's not, I'm not going anywhere, I'm like a stone. Nothing's going to talk to me. Or you might say you're worth, worthless. Worthless, okay, even yeah. emotionally, I'm like an emotional stone. Interesting. I like that interpretation. Rather, you should aim to transmute the atzvus immediately to miribus, to bitterness, to what he referred to in our chapter as remorse and brokenheartedness, which on the contrary energizes the heart to be stirred and embittered. So they're both negative feelings, but one destroys the heart and one is a, is like a recharges the heart. You know, the fibrillator is a shock. That shock hurts, but it re-energizes. So this is interesting because uh, <coughs> here the uh, on page three hundred five, Bimri root uh, is being translated as remorse. As remorse, but here on three fifty one, Mary Roos is being translated as bitterness. As bitterness. It's the, well, the literal translation... the two. The literal translation is bitterness. So there's a difference between depressed and bitter. That's basically what he's saying. They're both negative feelings, but one is... Takes I'm over. feelingless, and it takes over, and one is a tool. One is like that... is like the defibrillator. It hurts. It's negative. But it re-energizes. So the bitterness, if it doesn't get fixed, becomes depression. Yes. And the depression can become bitterness. So the, the Rebbe actually gives a... Gives an, exactly. The Rebbe gives an analogy in one of his letters. He says, before a seed um, blossoms, grows into something, it has to... It, it decomposes. But... If you, it's only going to decompose in the right context. If you put it in the proper soil, with the proper amount of water, with the proper amount of sunlight, and you nurture it, it's going to decompose, but that decomposition is going to help it grow. But if you don't nurture that seed, its, decompo it's decomposition is just going to destroy it. So you put a seed on the table, just leave it there. <laughs> no soil, no water, no sunlight, no, it's not in the right environment. Yes, it's decomposing, but it's not getting anywhere, it's destroying itself. And it's the same thing emotionally. Just because I'm feeling guilty, just because I'm feeling bad, doesn't mean it's appropriate, it could be destructive. If it's done in a nurturing way, in the right environment, in the right context, at the right time, in the right situation, the right amount of sunlight and water, it's going to hurt, but it's going to actually relieve me and help me experience joy afterwards. It's gonna to lead to joy. I, I don't. I don't disagree with that statement. I am really stuck on this word bitter. I look at this word bitter as a very negatively connoted word, not worthy of productivity. Just, just like the decomposition of the seed. Yes, on the table, right? I, no, not on the table. No, 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 no. I mean, the decomposition of the seed in the earth—that's productive. That's not bitterness. Bitterness is productive. Yeah, he's redefining it under. 
what the Alta Rebbe is saying, not the way we learned those words. Well, that's what I'm thinking. Is yeah, that, that, Bitter, I mean, may that's, have, Bitter may have a different definition than I'm thinking about. Because, well, if you look down right below that on 351, of course, this, uh, this is the writer's um, interpretation, not because it's not bolded. Right. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. um, well, that's what Josh said, <clears throat> and energizing. So, so I agree, bitterness is, is, is a catalyst to, uh, to, 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 to an active state of mind. I mean, depression, not, you know, it's just like you're, you're sinking into less energy, just, just this heavy thing. But I, I can see how bitterness is, is, is energizing. But I never, I never would have put it in a, in a, in a positive context. In, in a positive you know, remorse, I can see. Remorse. I, I mean, I, we certainly don't in English use, they're, they're completely not synonymous. Bitterness and remorse are not synonymous. That's why I'm stuck. Right. That's why I'm right. stuck, right. The, the, but the, the, I think his interpretation of bitterness in this context, it's remorse. It's not, it's, that's why I say translations will never do justice. <laughs> right. But it's always going to be it's the translators. The perfect example. <laughs> but how would you how would you translate this differently? Yeah. I, I think it's a good translation. So, Both remorse and bitter. But if you just read the English, you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to have this conversation. Right. Bitterness takes your mind to see how bad you are, and and depression, you just you're just bad. And you you don't like you said. One is mindful. One is one is just emo purely yeah, emotional and. and Depression is you're stuck in a hole and it's filling up with water and bitterness or you're stuck in a hole and but there's a rope there. Yeah, it's it, it's, it's like it's like that water. letter that I mean, it's 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 being nurtured. Either way is not gonna be nice, you know, trying to get out of the hole. But one so. will lead, but one leads to liberate one is liberating. Let's see, yeah, there's a thorn bush coming down and that's the only way to climb out. Ouch. But <laughs> but or you can drown to death with nothing. With nothing coming down. So pleasant. <laughs> but, but it's it's at the end of the day it's liberating. So yeah, I think that the paragraph you can get out which of agrees with what you said. You know, if if you interpret interpreting bitterness in that way, I can see why he. I can he see drew that point, connection. I can see the point being made. I just would ne not would never have naturally looked to that word to describe that. But okay. It's a physical. Thing, tasting the bitterness. <laughs> when you're feeling remorse, you well, feel there's, bitter. There's flavor there. Yeah. <laughs> the, the depression has no flavor. It's bland. Hopelessness. Depression. Hopelessness. I think they're related. Giving up. Yeah. But you're not allowed to because it tells you you're not allowed to do that. Because you've got to stay on the what is yours and what's not yours. So yeah, real you real depression. This, you've got no control over it, so don't worry about it. Real depression is is not real depression. I don't mean clinical when you you don't have a choice. But if you have the choice to not be depressed, th there's a well known saying. I think it's also from Aaron Aaron of Kerlin. He said, "There's no biblical mitzvah to be happy. There's no biblical prohibition to be sad. But happiness will accomplish." Far beyond what a mitzvah could accomplish, sadness will accomplish far beyond what a sin could accomplish. I recently read a story of Rabbi Yekusiel Lepler. Rabbi Yekusiel was a chassid, follower of the Altarebbe. And he would always try to... He, he was an inspired person. He had two different types of chassidim back then. 
you had Hasidim that would get inspired and fired up, and you had the more mindful Hasidim that would try to think and meditate and develop passion, and were more had a more calm approach. But that wasn't his approach. He would get inspired. Inspiration wouldn't necessarily last too long, and he would have to work on getting that inspiration back. And one time he got so inspired by this idea that we have to serve God with joy, we can't be sad, he started dancing. Not realizing that it was Tisha B'Av. It was ninth day of Av, the day that the Vesa Mikdash was destroyed, one of the major fast days. It's a day of mourning. And he said, Rebikusiel, uh, you know what day it is, right? He says, yeah, I'm, I'm quite aware. So he says, how are you doing this? You're dancing on Tisha B'Av. So he says, dancing on Tisha B'Av is a rabbinic prohibition because it's a rabbinic enactment. Sadness is a biblical prohibition because <laughs> it leads to all sorts of sins. I'd rather violate a rabbinic prohibition than a biblical prohibition. <laughs> he continued dancing. Okay. <laughs> and he never had remorse. And he never had remorse after. Never react to remorse. <laughs> Intentional remorse. So Somebody asked the, the Rebbe, what, what's the story? Can you share that story? Because you know better than I do. Why don't you just say my father and I told the story, and I'll listen to it afterwards and see if you get it right. Which story? Which story? <laughs> the, 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 the text that you sent me from Rabbi Nu. Um... Oh. Somebody asked the Rebbe, was it, it was right when the Rebbe became the Rebbe, they asked the Rebbe, what is the job of our generation? What is our generation's spiritual service? The Rebbe's response. A little asterisk, first, before that. The I Rebbe loved this generation. The Rebbe had a love affair with this generation. This generation being compared to like just so just it's called the rabbi. seventh generation, and he's okay. the seventh rebbe, seventh yeah. generation, and all sevenths in, in all sevenths it says in Zohar that all sevenths are precious and beloved. If you count the tzaddikim from the time that Avram came along until the seventh generation, you'll come up with Moshe Rabbeinu, beloved. If you start from the Alter Rebbe down, you're gonna get to our Rebbe. And he loved this generation. It was no coincidence that God put, us, put him in this generation. He loved Jews who have a, uh, a soul inside them and was in awe of the power of that soul, regardless of the circumstances. But com- Compared compare to one generation earlier, often referred to as the sixth generation, where his father-in-law was the Rebbe, were, were more the, the classically... Um, inspired shtetl Jew <laughs> who didn't have a lot of challenges in exposure. his or exposure or exposure challenges from exposures lived a, a rather isolated life of um, you know simple Judaism um, his his whole uh, frontier was Jewish as far as he could see there was like Fiddle like Tivia like Tivia and Fiddle on the Roof <laughs> yeah like that you dive in you, you learn you're inspired, you go to shul. The, the challenges were, you know, who's going to be the right shit? <laughs> and there was a big shift that was actually made from 6th or 7th generation. It even had a geographical switch where the, although the previous Rebbe was the one who came to America, the 7th Rebbe was the one who took Chabad and cared for Jews 
everywhere at a different level, um, both ignoring assimilation and actively combating it. But the, 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 the fact of assimilation would not stop the Rebbe from having a shliach somewhere where people didn't know a lot. We would say in Hebrew, other Rebbe, just the opposite. If there's people there who need to learn something, but their souls are popping around inside them, let's get someone there. So this man, this uh, Rabbi Daniel Myers, I think his name was, asked the Lubavitcher Rebbe right after he became Rebbe, what is the main function of this seventh generation? And uh, the Rebbe answered, the main function of this generation, and now you made me question my ability to remember it properly, but it was something along... Here I have it. There you go, you have it. I don't have to... And so today we are the living seventh generation. 100%. Also known as the last generation before Mashiach comes. Referred to as that, the seventh. And so this was in, in 1951, right after he became Rebbe. He said, what is the main job, main spiritual service of this generation? The Rebbe answered, I'm translating it from Hebrew. Even if a person falls to the lowest of depths, his job, get back up. Don't give up on yourself. Don't lose hope. Don't say, I'm a faker. Don't ask yourself, who am I? What am I? What kind of person am I? Say, like we were saying before, it's not about you, right? <laughs> Don't ask it in a good way. None, none of those questions. And to trust that you are desirable to God, just like anybody else, just like before your sin. And on the contrary, the fact that you fell makes, your, makes you even more desirable. Because you fell and got up. And you were able to use your falling, your folly, I don't know if that's a word, as a, uh, you know, instead of a stumbling block, you turned it into a stepping stone. Now when you say more desirable, more desirable than what? Not compared to another person than what you were before. I think that's what, how when, I As soon as you said that, I was thinking, oh... Bainini, as so opposed to Tzadi. This is, yeah, same idea. Well, that's why it says the place where about Teshuvah stands, <coughs> says in the Talmud, the greatest of, uh, the greatest Tzadik can't stand there. About Teshuvah has a higher status than, a, than that of a Tzadik. Right. It, it, this is exactly what the Rebbe is saying, that the, the service of our generation, where we have challenges, that in the previous generations, in the times of the Baal Shem Tov, when the Jews were in Israel with the Holy Temple, where holiness was more apparent, where doubts were not as crazy, where assimilation was out of the question. For them to, for us to actually get up and not give up. That's why it says in the Torah that Moshe was the humble, most humble person to grace the earth. Because he was looking at our generation. He spoke to God face to face. He saw the Torah being transmitted from Sinai downward. There were no questions. The commitment was, of course I'll be committed. I experienced it. But to us who did not consciously experience it, our souls were there, but we didn't consciously experience it. Yet we're still committed. 
Moses was envious of this. And the Rebbe was saying, this is, the, this is what our generation's job is. Not to let guilt destroy us, but turn it into merirut, into bitterness, turn it into a stepping stone, not a stumbling block. Which brings us to the next point in Tanya here. Page 306. As soon as we do this, he says, you could, now you have to trust that God forgives you and you could forgive yourself. Move on. You're done. You figured out whether the, this item that I'm supposed to be feel is appropriate to feel guilty over. You scheduled it. It was proper remorse because it was other-focused, not self-focused. It was done in a conducive way, Marirut, rather than Atzvot. Okay, you're done. <laughs> Wipe it away. This is what he says. During these sessions, immediately after having feelings of broken-heartedness, you should then not dwell on the feeling, but completely wipe away any sadness from your heart. Mm. And here, this is interesting. This I find this to be incredible. Believe with perfect faith that God has erased your sin and that He is very forgiving. Trust in God that He forgives you. Trust Him. In another section in Tanya, the third section of Tanya, which discusses Teshuva. It's a whole section just on Teshuva. So the Altar Rebbe says, you have to trust that God forgives you. Halachically. Here's the proof. If I were to, let's say I took out my tefillin. I recite the blessing on the tefillin. I don't put on the tefillin. I said, no, you know, I don't want to put on the tefillin. No, I'm going to do it in an hour from now. That's a problem because I just said a blessing in vain, right? If I had a cup of water and I say the blessing and I said, I don't want to drink the water now. I said, I don't want to drink the water now. That, that's, a, that's a blessing in vain. I have to drink the water. I can't have that. I can't just say blessings in vain. We recite a blessing in the Amida. The blessing of forgiveness. Right? Forgive us, our Father, for we have sins. Sounds familiar? In the Amida? And we use God's name. Baruch Atah Hashem, blessed you, God. Chanun, you're gracious. You increase your forgiveness. You are increasingly forgiving. We recite God's name in His blessing, saying that you are forgiving. And if God is not forgiving, we recited a blessing in vain. God has no choice but to forgive us. We have to trust that He forgives us. And if God forgives us, we can forgive us. We can move on. Isn't there that famous story, beautiful story, Erevim, you think you mentioned Yom Kippur. I think it was Erevim Kippur's story, where a tzaddik had sent somebody who wanted to understand the relationship between sins and mitzvahs and Hashem to see how this man prepares himself for Yom Kippur and he, you know, sneaks up to the house and looks into the window and there's a small fire burning on the hearth and in front of this man living in very humble circumstances there are a few different pieces of paper, little pieces of paper and he's separating them, he's reading them, he says, oh, this is one of my sins, I did this, I shouldn't have done it he said, oh yeah, you made me lose my, li- my, my livelihood, Hashem. This is one of your sins. And <laughs> continues to say, like, and, and then, you know, it, uh, it, um, I, I was sick for a significant period of time. That's one of yours. And yeah, I didn't wake up on time one morning for davening. That's one of mine. He separates them all and he says, you know what? I have an idea. I'll forgive you, Hashem, from your sins. You forgive me of mine. And let's call it even. And he threw them all into the fire.
And that was somehow... It's a real story? Yeah. I, I might have wow. left out some of the details, but the, I like it. the idea is that <laughs> this part where it says you have to believe in Hashem. You have to have a relationship. I, I think it's an important ingredient in, a re, in any relationship. Trusting that, you know, you, you were forgiven. And that somebody could trust you that you forgave them and that you're not holding a grudge. And God is essentially, the altar is saying the same thing with our relationship with God. In any healthy relationship, you have to trust that there's no grudge there. Otherwise, there's resentment. And we don't want to resent God. We don't want God to resent us. And we have to just trust and move on. So I have a practical question for you. If somebody's done something to you that you, well, to you or someone... All right, I'll just get straight to the point. I won't beat around the bush. I'm trying to figure out if I can forgive my mother for cremating my father, even if she never asks me for forgiveness. Because it's something that I'm having a great difficulty with. Understandably so. And I, I, this feeling like if I can, even if she never asks for forgiveness, if I forgive her, if that will in some way help me get past. But, I mean, in the practicality of asking and receiving forgiveness, I mean, can you grant forgiveness for somebody who's not even asked for it? Tough question. You don't have to answer it now. I just, we were talking about it, so I just threw it out there. No, it's a good question. In, in chapter 32 of Tanya, I think the altar addresses this. Somebody did something wrong, and there's anger, there's resentment. And the altar says, wait a minute, if they did something wrong, we should also, you know, feel bad for them. Compassion, mercy. I feel bad, you know, they're not in that level of understanding, in that frame of mind. That they would to understand that they did something that they shouldn't. Have. <clears throat> it, it, it kind of helps us transform anger and resentment into, you know, I just feel bad for the person. In, in this case, you know, in any relationship. <clears throat> I'm assuming she doesn't think she did anything wrong, right? No, she doesn't. So, so that that's the thing. It wouldn't be, in other words, if it was malicious, it's more, or maybe I don't know. I don't know the situation, but I'm saying it. it that's that's my answer on one foot. Not that it's necessarily appropriate to give one on one foot. No, I know. I you know. Like. No, it's a good question. It's, it's a hard thing, but did you have any control? Did you were you able to tell her before she did it? Of course. I'm sorry, knew, wait, wait, I'm sorry, was I able to do what before? Tell her before. How tell her what? It was that tell her that I forgive it. her before she did it? No. No, like but, how important it was, and then she still went ahead and did it. Oh, yeah, she knew perfectly but well then, how upsetting it was. Then she did it, and she did it against your wishes and against, so then. And against my father's wishes. And against his wishes as well. Yeah. So that's not very nice. And then you have to distance yourself from bad things, because that's what it says in the time. Anyway, I didn't mean to derail the discussion, but we were just... No, no, it's... It's, it's definitely... 
Valid question. If you come up with uh, you know any more thoughts on it, let me know. <laughs> it's a heavy one, but do you want it's to forgive a real her? one? I, I want to forgive her for multiple reasons. One of which is because I feel it's it's a burden to me to not forgive her. Right, and I I need to somehow get past the resentment that I have towards my mother right now. Yeah. So I I, I think. If, if, if it's possible to transform the anger and resentment to compassion, that, that, that's what the Alter Rebbe says. Uh, obviously, easier, easier said than done. <laughs> easier to learn about it than to talk about it, than, than to... Still, you have to follow the Ten Commandments of respecting your elders or your, your parents. I know. But, I, but it, that no, doesn't it's, mean you have to love them, though. It doesn't say you have to love your parents. It's definitely normal. Normal feelings. I think that's what I think I struggle. I don't, I don't see this. Even I, you if know, you don't, you can respect her without forgiving her, though. I don't think you need to forgive her to respect her. Respect her is not trying to make her life miserable. You're probably. right. You're right. <clears throat> Work in progress, that's what We'll I talk. Do. I'm a work in progress. Aren't we all? Aren't we all? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll just throw in one thing, which is I'm not a psychologist, nor am I even an expert on the subject. My mother just recently started, recently, a number of years, she started to suffer from Alzheimer's. Um, there's, there's lots of stuff that, uh, that come up that you want to address, and you can't anymore. Mm. You just can't. I can't. You know, I, I have this problem with my father. I tried to explain to him that he's trying to fix some of the aspects of their marriage, and I'm trying to gently explain to him that my mother's not a, a vessel for improvement in the marriage anymore. You know, the main thing is to keep her right, just yeah. to keep her healthy and safe and happy to the extent whatever that means to that person. Yeah. And I made a decision at that point. That anything that I was that I had going on with my mother, I needed to for much of the same reasons that you're saying, I needed to resolve them myself, because there was no longer a person with whom I can relate and work towards a solution. If there, there's you know everybody has some things. Yours is extremely significant, obviously, in many ways, but but that gave me a freedom. when I was telling my father, dad. Stop trying to fix a marriage. The way you can fix your marriage right now is take care of mom. You know? Like, just be nice. And if she does the stuff that's bothered you for 40 years, it's not the same stuff. It's different now. You just can't fix it. And it was empowering for me to be able to tell her that because that allowed me to look at my mother when she does some things that, you know, drive me crazy. And I'm like, well, too bad for you. Right? And it's, it's, it's healthy to be able to put those things to rest when the person is still... Even if they're not asking for forgiveness, when they're still able to receive your feelings of love and unbridled forgiveness, my own two cents. Yeah. It's got to be you, not it. Your mother's not going to improve. It's got to be you that improves <laughs> for yourself. Right. Probably, she's probably not going to improve. So hmm? she's probably not going to improve. It, it, even if you forgave her, it's not going to make her a better person. Uh, 
have lots of silkas. That's an important thing. Many silkas. Amen. Amen. It's a good month for silkas. Adar. This is it. This is the month. Will you show up on Purim on the right night? Did you see the uh, <laughs> Did you see the announcement? No, was it so, the so, wrong night? I sent Rabbi Raleigh a note saying, well, should I come on Tuesday, Tuesday which is the 9th, but it says Tuesday the 10th. So should I come on the 10th or should I come on Tuesday? <laughs> I, I think he had that problem in Shul. Didn't, didn't he make that mistake announcing it in Shul? Oh, he know. said it right once, then he said it I wrong. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought he'd probably want to clarify that. (laughs) That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. All right. (laughs) It was nice to be here in the flash. There's usually no talking after that on my (laughs) own (laughs) committee.